Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kirsten Loita. Kirsten is a partner at Osage University Partners, also known as OUP. At OUP, Kirsten is responsible for relationships with more than 100 academic institutions that are partnered with the fund, engaging potential new partner institutions, and enhancing and creating value-added programs for those partnered academic institutions. Prior to her time with OUP, Kirsten spent 19 years in technology transfer at Stanford University and the German Cancer Research Center. Prior to joining OUP, Kirsten was Associate Director at Stanford's Office of Technology Licensing. Over her career at Stanford, Kirsten managed portfolios of inventions in most technology areas, but concentrated in biotechnology. Kirsten has also been actively involved in technology transfer outside her daily work. She was formerly two-time board member for the Association of University Technology Managers, now known as Autumn, and speaks frequently on university technology transfer. Additionally, Kirsten is on the board of Women in Bio. Kirsten has a BA from Wesley College and an MBA from Santa Clara University. And with that very impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Kirsten. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's great to be here to talk with you today. Well, thanks again, Kirsten, for taking part in the podcast. And it's really great to have you here. And I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in tech transfer and then ultimately at OUP? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's actually, I love talking about this in part because for me, um, especially because I've been in the business for so long. Um, it was it was when I when I started out, it was not a business people were like looking to get into. Um, it was uh, and and I, so I really call my journey a journey of um, focused serendipity. Uh, things just happened, but I happened to do things along the way that um, enabled other things to happen. And I'm and I just feel so fortunate that my journey has taken me the the way it has. Um, so. To start way back, I have an undergrad degree in, in biology, and I I was actually one of those people who knew I didn't want to get a PhD. I did not want to go on um, in in this. I did work in a diagnostic company for a couple of years, and decided, yeah, I did not want to stay at the bench. <laughs> this was not for me. Uh, so I went and traveled around the world for six months, and I came back and I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and I was going to be a me- medical illustrator. That was that was what I was going to do. I thought, I, you know, I love biology. I um, I, I love um, the arts, and I'm going to combine uh, those. And so I hadn't, of course, done much art in college, so I needed to do prereqs. And so I started temping a whole bunch of um, places while I was doing prereqs and working on this to apply to these um, MFA programs. Um, and I temped a bunch of places, and um, I kept getting offered jobs at these places. I'm like, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, um, I'm gonna go do my schooling, um, and. Uh, finally, I, I attempted um, OTL, 
and they offered me a job and I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, you know, go get my MFA, but you know, Stanford OTL was, uh, just a wonderful place. And, um, when they asked me again about potentially a position, um, while I was temping there, I said, yes. And I said, yes, because of the people and the work seemed really interesting. Um, and, and I thought, well, I'll still do my prereqs at night, you know, um, and, and finish it up that way. Well, lo and behold, you know, years later, what I ended up doing was an MBA instead of an MFA. I did that at night while I worked at the OTL. Um, so I started out as the temp receptionist at OTL. Um, and by the time I left, I was the associate director in the office. I just happened to have the right, you know, background, having a science background in general for it. And again, I just got really lucky to be a part of this business uh, and perhaps to recognize early on what wonderful people um, were a part of it and how interesting the work was. So I have to ask, are you going to go back eventually for that MFA? <laughs> well, that actually is the, one of the, the bonuses of the pandemic, right? Is I actually have been doing art classes. Oh, <laughs> good for you. For um, and so I should, but so I should, should mention about the, about the second, you know, obviously the more recent part of my journey was uh, obviously uh, making the transition to OUP because uh, having been at, at Stanford for so long, uh, by the time I did leave, um, I really thought I was never going to leave. Um, I did work in Germany also in tech transfer for one year in there. Um, but I really thought I was a lifer um, at, at Stanford, or at least in the tech transfer field. Um, and an OUP approached me and I started learning about um, the the business itself and uh, the investments that they were making in these university startups, of course, no number of which we were seeing, obviously, at Stanford. And um, again, it was the team. It was the team of people at Osage University Partners uh, and the work they were doing um, that interested me so much. So the team and the work uh, drew me over um, to OUP. Still think of, of the Stanford folks definitely as my second family. It was just uh, such a terrific experience working there for so long. Well, and I think that's a great segue for those of our listeners, Kirsten, who aren't familiar with OUP. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what it does? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's such an interesting uh, model. So um, we started back in around 2009 uh, with this idea that um, universities often have um, participation rights in their uh, license agreements, which are the ability to invest in rounds of the startup companies coming out of their universities. But a number of universities at that time, uh, and then still to this day, didn't have um, the funds to be able to make those investments as the companies that were coming out of their universities um, uh, to invest in those companies as they were raising their rounds. And so we thought, well, if they have these participation rights, um, it was Lou Burnerman, excuse me, I should back up to this. It was Lou Burnerman who, who uh, noticed, you know, at Penn, they had these investment rights. They weren't always being used. Um, and he talked about it with some other directors who'd also seen this as well. And so he started um, approaching some venture capital groups saying, hey, if the universities could assign these participation rights um, uh, to an entity, uh, potentially the entity could look at these deals uh, and potentially make those investments. Um, and so that that was the, how the idea was born, is that um, uh, an entity, a venture entity could make investments through participation rights um, and then share the, the idea is to share a portion of the profits then with those universities in return for the assignment of those participation rights. 
Now, so it was started out small, um, a relationship with a few universities. Now it's developed to over 100 universities. Um, we'll talk a little bit, I think, in a little bit about kind of the types of partnerships that we have with the universities. Um, but it started small. Um, we started working on the model, making an inv investments. Uh, however, now um, we're on our third fund. We have um, across our three funds about $600 million uh, under management. Um, and it's it's just been terrific. It's a, a really interesting model. Participation rights aren't the only way um, that we uh, make investments, but it is our focus um, for our fund. But as you and the audience probably know, a lot of how investments come about is uh, through the relationships that you end up having with the entrepreneurs associated with the startup, with the tech transfer office, uh, uh, with the other investors, other things that are in the entrepreneurial ecosystem as well. Wow, that's really fascinating. And um, that leads me to ask, Kirsten, can you tell us how you decide which universities, research institutions, accelerators to work with? I'm, I'm assuming you must have some type of vetting process. We do. Um, I would say, though, that um, a lot of it right now for us is just bandwidth. Um, you know, we have a team that is focused on on doing well with all of our universities and with tracking the startups that, that are at all of the universities that we work with. Um, and we want to do a good job with everyone, um, all of the universities that we uh, partner with. Um, so, as I mentioned, we are partnering with about 100 academic institutions so far. Um, a lot of our new partnerships come about because a university approaches us and says, hey, we have this startup that we actually think might be a fit for your model. Would you be interested in it? And hey, we have participation rights. And so the, uh, you, would you be interested in investing with us? So that's how a number of our new part, new partnerships come about is we see an, uh, we're brought an opportunity um, either through the university or through another venture investor. That's something else that's changed with our model over time is that if other venture investors know us now and bring us opportunities um, so it just, uh, so that's how, it, how it's evolved is that, um, it's often, um, uh, an opportunity arises that, um, establishes that new partnership. Now, Kirsten, you mentioned you've partnered with over a hundred leading universities, research institutions, accelerators, and venture funds, and they're all over the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Israel, and Singapore. And I know some of them are core partnerships and some are associate partnerships. So can you tell us a little bit about the difference between the two? Yeah, sure. Um, so we started out with just this idea of core partnership, which was this, you know, I mentioned the participation rights earlier. It was this, okay, um, if you agree to pre-assign your participation rights for the term of a fund, which is um, typically the investing period of a fund is usually around four to five years. Um, if you agree to assign your participation rights for the term of that fund, um, uh, you know, you'd receive a certain share of our, our, our profits. Um, so we started out with that model. So that was our core partners, which we used to call our university partners, but it got very confusing because they're all universities. <laughs> so we changed it to core partners. Um, but then we had other universities approaching us. Um, saying, hey, you know, we have maybe we don't have as much uh, as many startups or, um, you know, but would you still consider investing in these? And so we developed this associate partner model. So the core partners pre-agree um, to exclusively provide their um, the rights to their participation rights to us for the term of a fund. They always have a right to co-invest. There's always a 50 percent co-investment right that the universities have. Um, but the associate partners, it's a non-exclusive relationship. So there's no um, pre-agreement that they'll assign their participation rights to us, but we enter into a relationship saying, 
hey, if you let us know about your startup companies and potentially we see one we'd like to invest in, potentially you might um, assign those participation rights to us. It's, uh, it's, but it's up to your choice. So it's really kind of this exclusive um, model for the core partners and non-exclusive model for the associate partners, which, you know, knowing tech transfer people, they understand that, <laughs> like how that, that operates. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know your role there at OUP is to manage these relationships with all these academic institutions and research institutions. Uh, that must be a, a big task. Can you tell us a little bit about how you manage your work with all these different institutions? Yeah, well, obviously, we have quite a team, um, quite a team at OUP. Again, that's one of the reasons that I came over was because of this team. So we do have around these 100 academic institutions. Just I'll start on the startups side of this is, you know, uh, between all of those institutions, we're currently tracking about 7,000, maybe a bit more than that, um, active startup companies. Um, And so we have a Salesforce database that we use. (laughs) You have to have some sort of tracking system for all of this. And um, then we, uh, you know, we try to get updates. Um, We work on getting updates from those institutions on an ad hoc and a regular basis. You know, often we're autumn each year uh, sitting down. You know, we, we usually have 50, 60 meetings at least wow. <laughs> during those, those the, yeah, it's a, it's a really um, wonderful but grueling uh, few days. But then we also, of course, do it on an ad hoc basis throughout the year. Um, a number of people just uh, send us updates as they know something new is coming down the pike. They say, hey, you should know about um, this one that's coming up. We like to get to know the startups um, as early as possible so that they will consider us as possible investors. Um, so that's one part of it is the, you know, startup tracking, uh, keeping up. We have a, um, a, a what we call a deal log that we send out to our partners that shows kind of the status of the companies, what we're thinking about it, um, where we where we know the funding is at, um, other other notes about it. But then there's this other whole parts of the relationships with the universities, which is um, I think one of the things that um, uh, the universities who work with us really value, which is uh, some other benefits that we bring to the table of working with universities, which is um, all of the programming that we offer um, to the startup companies, to the tech transfer offices, to the entrepreneurial ecosystem um, that are really about helping startups uh, do better on the tech transfer offices, perform better. Um, one of the things that I think there's really a luxury about the uh, position isn't quite the right word, but I'll, I'll use it, um, that we have is, is that we work with so many groups that we get to see the practices at so many different places. And so what we can do sometimes is help bring people together saying, hey, do you want to talk about these particular practices? Because we're seeing that this is an issue, um, perhaps. And is there something that we can do to, to, to assist on this? And sometimes it's just getting people together and brainstorming. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. That's really great that you provide that that service for them because you're seeing things that I'm sure, like you said, they may not be realizing and you might run into some best practices in a different office that may be useful in another office you're working with. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so we um, bring together different groups that maybe they're focused on certain areas um, to work on something for that. Sometimes actually we started something this last year called our peer cohorts program. And it's really, it's very beta right now. Um, so, uh, but it is, it's basically being, get, having um, a, a group of people come and talk to each other once a month or one, once every other month, just to talk about issues that they're encountering. And actually, this was an idea. We get a lot of our ideas from our wonderful tech transfer colleagues. This was the one that came from, from Stefan over at University of Michigan, where he said, you know, I'd really like to have other people to talk to at other tech transfer offices who are going through the, through the same things I'm going through. 
Uh, and so we established some of these and we'll be doing more of those in the future. It's just, it's, um, you know, it's again, one of these things we talked about that the whole time consuming uh, and making things happen, but that's a lot of what we're about. It's helping, helping people have connections that are going to be useful um, in their jobs. That's fantastic. And Kirsten, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you spoke at TEDx in Tucson back in October 2017, and it's a very interesting talk. And your topic was on advancing academic innovations, particularly when it comes to traversing that valley of innovation death, also known as the horrible void. Uh, during that talk, you mentioned some really interesting attributes that helped inventions or innovations make it through this void. Can you talk about those in a little bit of detail? Yeah, and and I what I think I was trying to get at with um, making it through the void was um, some things that you know, you know, coming from Stanford, people are like, "Well, it's so easy at Stanford." I'm like, it's, "No, it's it's really not. <laughs> it's not. It's, this is not easy for anyone anywhere unless you have like a ton of startups under your belt and people just started knocking down your door." But even you know, it, it's not happening most of the time for people. It's and it's not that easy because. Um, being in academia is very bit different than being involved um, in, in a startup company or anything that's kind of taking some, you know, an, a technology um, through to commercialization. And um, so the void um, is, you know, people have often talked about the valley of death. I, I, I like the term void, the valley of innovation death, because we're really speaking about innovation and that making it out of this desert because there, there's just so many things that die in that valley um, because of, of a lot of opportunities that are missed. And, and although a lot of that has to do with um, funding and having the right people associated with it, et cetera, but, um, uh, but there were certain attributes that I also saw that I, I felt like weren't being talked about as much that helped things get through the void. And so um, one was uh, for for um, people to put aside their paranoia and admit that you need help. Um, uh, you know, when you hold really tightly onto something, uh, you're not letting other people see the value of that and potentially being able to help you. And so that was one thing is um, admitting you need help, that you don't know everything. Um, and, and, and most people know that, like they know what they're um, like, what they're good at and, and what their experience level is. Um, and educators are really good at like saying, um, uh, my education is here, but I don't know this and this and this. How do I put this together? And, and getting that help in to help you with those missing pieces, I think, is really important. And to do that, you really need to build your network and your relationships to find those people. And that was, I think, definitely one of the advantages of working at Stanford was like you had all these people who'd gone through perhaps this experience. And if you reached out and touch someone, perhaps you would have those people who could come in and help you uh, uh, with those networks and relationships and filling those spots that you needed to fill because they were gaps um, in your own ability to take something um, forward. And that will help you build, the third part of this is that really good team around you. Um, and, and you know, when we look at investing opportunities at OUP, that's the number one thing we're looking at is that team that potentially is taking this opportunity uh, forward. Um, so getting that associated with the technology to help, you know, drive it through that valley of innovation um, death. And of course, the fourth piece is the, the funds and the programs, because the fact of the matter is that most of the time industry isn't the one that's getting you through 
um, this valley of death. And so finding SBIR programs, the SPARC program at Stanford, um, other programs that perhaps can do that more translational research and, and institutions are even so much, like I talked about this in 2017, you know, like we were already seeing wonderful um, movement on translational research uh, back then, but even more so now, there is so much more um, on, on that translational research side that's helping those um, technologies uh, make it through that valley of innovation death or maybe dying in early death <laughs> if, they, if they need to. So I would encourage our listeners to Google Kirsten's name. You can find the TED Talk really easily. It's not very long. It's less than 15 minutes. And I think you'll find some really good, informative um, pieces in there. So congratulations, Kirsten. It, it, I thought it was a really great TED Talk. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, switching gears back to OUP, I wanted to ask you, could you give us some examples of some of the companies that your firm has backed? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm going to start off a little bit higher than 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 uh, just giving the examples, and I'll definitely go into some examples. But um, we are a deep sciences uh, investor. We're investing in the same things that um, our institutions are creating out of their research endeavors. Um, and so that's why our investment team. So we have a, a, a team of about 18 or so people right now. Um, and a large chunk of that is our investment team, most of whom uh, have, have science backgrounds. Uh, and so they're going deep into that science and understanding it and diligencing it um, when we're looking at opportunities. And um, so we reflect where are uh, the institutions we're working with, where they're creating things. Um, so we have both a, what we call term a life sciences investment team, as well as a tech investment team, or in, in, in my tech transfer lingo, we call that physical sciences. <laughs> um, so uh, they're looking at opportunities across uh, the spectrum uh, there. But really, like we uh, we invest in all of those areas. On the life sciences side, we definitely have concentrated more on the therapeutic side. You can just see that with the, the number of investments we've made in the therapeutic side. It also just reflects a lot where uh, universities are creating their startups, but also where investors, investors are investing in those startups. So just some examples of those are Biohaven, uh, Cure Oncology, um, Homology, uh, Homology um, Selecta, uh, Precision, um, Synthorex are just a few of those. And then we also, and those um, all uh, uh, IPO'd in the last uh, few years, we've, we've, there's been, you know, it's been such an IPO flurry. Um, and so those are examples of, of ones that have IPO'd and those are obviously um, all on the life sciences side. We've also had um, some uh, successful acquisitions in the last um, several years. Obviously, Body Labs um, was acquired by Amazon. Cell Design Labs was acquired by uh, Gilead. Uh, and, and we have a number of, uh, I'd encourage people to go to um, uh, our website to uh, see the companies uh, that we've invested in because it's it's so much broader than what I've just mentioned um, because we have, um, for example, one of our uh, investments is in a company um, uh, called Numat uh, out of Northwestern, uh, which is a, a very different um, space overall than than any of those those life science companies. Um, uh, we've invested in, in a number of uh, software deals as well. So um, I, I don't I don't want to go into too much. Like it, it, naming companies always makes me feel like oh I'm choosing you know between all my children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where, whereas they're all, we well, we all are very hopeful, um, obviously, for, for each one of our opportunities that we've invested in. So, Kirsten, I wanted to ask you what OUP does to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked me about this um, because it is something that 
um, I have been working on, uh, you know, and, and our firm has been working on um, for a while and is something I think that is, is going to continue to grow um, uh, in our activities at, at OUP. Um, one thing I'll mention specifically um, is Equalize. Um, this is something that is uh, honestly the, the, the main brainchild of um, Nicole Mercier and Kristen Otto at WashU. Uh, you may have already, I think you already spoke with them. Yeah, <laughs> I spoke with, yeah, it was a great interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 she just has um, such a terrific background having started out with, you know, being one of the, I think one of the preliminary people who started examining academic women and and how, how often they were being a part of this innovation process at the institution. Um, and, you know, that those numbers started saying, okay, well, what can we do? Um, about this, and and she uh, obviously created a program at, uh, at WashU for uh, for her women um, innovators. Uh, but then the idea uh, behind Equalize was to create a national program where academic women could come and be mentored um, for a period of of six months, uh, culminating in a um, pitch competition that this year is going to be in September, is September twenty second, I believe. But go to Equalize. Um, the website. You can just look up Equalize WashU um, and you'll find it. And that's been just a real joy to be a part of. This year, we added an education component um, uh, to that as well. So not just uh, pairing up the the, the mentees um, with mentors, the pitchies, we also call them the, the pitchers uh, with mentors, um, but having an education component. And I think one of the things that we're really looking at is how do we um, expand this um, such that we don't have to necessarily choose people to part. Like we want everyone to benefit um, from this. And so we're looking at ways of um, expanding this such that um, it will be a much broader based benefit. Um, we also, one other thing that I will note on this right now is it is um, currently focused on life science areas. We we want that to be broader too. It need to, needs to include physical science as well. We have lots of other ideas. So I'm, I'm going to leave it there for Equalize. I'm also involved um, in uh, Women in Bio um, on the board there. And then uh, I, I obviously work with um, Autumn's groups as well. Um, but there, there will certainly be more coming down uh, the pike um, with regards to this. Uh, definitely an area in general um, where I'm very passionate about helping um, underrepresented uh, inventors and entrepreneurs, helping them uh, with their journeys forward. Well, and I think that's a good segue, Kirsten. You mentioned Autumn, and you've been a member and leader in that organization for a number of years. Can you tell us what Autumn's meant to you? Oh, absolutely. I, I would not have the career I, I've had without Autumn. There's just no question about that. It is the Autumn Network and the the people I've met through Autumn that have basically enabled every step that I that I've had in my own uh, journey, um, career journey, personal journey. It is such, I, I was talking with, with someone at a company recently and we were talking about tech transfer offices somehow. And he's like, so, so you guys all collaborate with each other. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, actually. I mean, that's what, that is one of the wonderful things about um, this tech transfer community is there may be competition that is um, lighthearted and jovial, et cetera. But it is everyone wants everyone to do better um, and to help each other and like and, and supporting each other with how well they are doing. Because, I mean, this 
um, profession has come leaps and bounds from from its beginnings. And I mean, we could go way back to the beginnings, right, to the, the 1920s. But like, if we really want to think of the the major foment of this, like in the early 1970s, and then obviously the 1980s with the Bayh-Dole Act, I mean, it is just so remarkable where it has come. And it is still such a great community and such a good group of people, just such a good group of people to be a part of. So getting back to Autumn, though, like, which was your your question, you know, starting off with my my initial mentor um, at Stanford, Mary Albertson, you know, she invited me to um, come and be a co-speaker with her. I remember this uh, co-speaker at an autumn conference on a certain topic. And I just thought, oh, God, no. No, no, I hate public speaking. There's no way I could do this. Um, and again, this is, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, typical perhaps for um, a younger person, but particularly a younger woman. We're like, oh, I can't do public speaking. I can't, you know, like the, but her just encouraging me and saying, sure, I'll do it with you. I'll help you along with it. It's, that was, that was what I needed. And I just needed someone to say that. Um, and then, you know, I, I did that. And then I think she also then introduced me to Robin Racer, who was running the annual meeting at the time and had got me involved with the annual meeting committee. And it just kind of like flew from there because people are like, hey, you're willing to do stuff? Great. <laughs> um, and I cannot encourage people enough to get involved and be involved with Autumn and help out in whatever way um, seems uh, good for you. I know that like you may only be involved with one thing in autumn for two years and then you move on to something else. And that is a great growth opportunity for you. So do it. Um, uh, you're going to transition out of one thing and move to another and you're going to get to know more people and learn more things. And um, so, yeah, I, I could go on and autumn, on and on about how autumn has been terrific um, for me personally, but also how I've seen it um, grow um, for other people. Um, and yeah, I would definitely not be where I am today without autumn. Kirsten, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests if they could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for their office, what would that be? But I thought I would give it a little bit of a twist with you today, given your career in tech transfer. I wanted to ask you if you could have any three wishes for advancing university tech transfer, what would those be? So my first one, and I may all roll it into this first one, one of the things that I have seen over and over again in tech transfer is, you know, it, it the, the tech transfer off operation is a facilitator and a service and a customer oriented. You're, you're, you're working with the faculty, with the grad students, with the postdocs, et cetera. Um, you're working with um, industry, et cetera. And um, I would love to see more recognition. Um, I, this is a job that is wonderful in so many ways but also something that is incredibly demanding and sometimes can just be really thankless. Um, and which is, it maybe sounds harsher than I mean, but, um, you know, typically working at, you know, academic institutions, it's, it may be not as financially uh, gainful as working in industry. You know, I think that I, I would really like to see more recognition um, for uh, the really terrific work that everyone's um, doing um, uh, in the tech transfer offices. And perhaps I'm biased having come, you know, from, from that, but I know how hard 
<laughs> people work in tech transfer and how they're trying to do a million things um, at once. So um, that is one thing. And, and as part of that, you know, is, is providing um, tech transfer offices the resources that they need in order to do that work, especially as more and more things have been put on the quote unquote tech transfer plate, which isn't in tech transfer. I mean, the people have all been renaming them themselves, right? Because it's not tech transfer anymore. It is all the load of things that have been said, okay, this this seems like a tech transfer type thing. Let's let's put it on this plate, which is terrific. And I think actually it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, uh, it definitely requires a lot more resources. And, and that's been, um, and especially now with the pandemic and with perhaps with budgets affects it, et cetera, that, that may be uh, difficult for a while. So um, recognition, resources, and uh, I think that one of the other things that um, I think that I would wish for um, advancing uh, university tech transfer is uh, easier routes of, of doing things <laughs> um, and getting things uh, accomplished. And I think that some of that comes with obviously working together more, which Autumn provides great resources for. I think we're trying to do some of that um, as well. But uh, industry, I think, is getting a lot more involved, too, to, to kind of make that happen, too. And just um, not seeing each other. And I think I talked about this a little bit when I talked about the void is 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 not seeing each other as um, as as opponents. It's like seeing we're, we're relationship builders and we're going to build things together. And I think university and industry used to be very far apart on a lot of things. They've come a lot closer and they're still they're recognizing what those differences are and those differences are likely going to remain quite a bit, but figuring out um, easier paths to make those, to get those forward. So those are my three. Those are three really great wishes. And let's hope, uh, hope we can get those realized. Well, Kirsten, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Oh, yeah. And, and people can always reach out to me um, uh, at, at my um, email addresses, which is uh, kloyte at oup.vc. It's K-L-E-U-T-E at oup.vc. No one can pronounce my name unless you know German, so never worry about that. Um, but it's K-L-E-U-T-E at oup.vc. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Kirsten. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Oh, it was such a pleasure, Lisa. I always love talking about this. So thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.